0: Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers, but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. You know, when I hear that intro song, uh, our theme song, I even think, when it's just like the Dead Pilot Society... I even think that that's me. People think, is that you? Even I think it's me. It's not me. It's Ted Leo who did the song. But it's just so weird because it sounds so much like me. Uh, This is the after show for Falling Apart featuring my interview with Steve Bazalone. I love talking to other writers. I really do. Every time I do it, I just enjoy it so much. I didn't know Steve before. And now I know Steve. And he's great. Uh, He's written on Happy Endings, Community, The Goldbergs. He also wrote and directed a feature film called Long Weekend. And we talk about that. He did all kinds of crazy writing jobs on his way breaking in. Really fun to hear about all of those. Uh, and one thing this interview made me think about is that you really, you know, you writers out there, you really should write what you love to watch. You know, people say you know write what you know. Sure, fine, do that too, but. Uh, Steve loves romantic comedies with a twist. He loves Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Five Hundred Days of Summer. So he wrote a romantic comedy with a twist. He's actually written a couple of them. Long Weekend is that too, and they're good because he has a genuine love for this subgenre. So you know, it works. Anyway, this is a lot of fun. Uh, enjoy my interview with Steve Bazalone after a brief message.
1: Are elephants right-handed? What's the middlest size in the universe? What is the history of fan fiction? Let's find out together on our show, Let's Learn Everything, where we learn anything and everything interesting.
0: My name's Caroline, and I studied biodiversity and conservation. My name's Tom, and I studied computer science and cognitive... Mm, Did
1: you? (laughs) (laughs) And my name's Ella, and I studied stem cells and regenerative medicine. On our show, we do as much research as you would for a class, but we don't get in trouble for making each other laugh. And we get to Say. F-. <laughs> Maybe not in the trailer. <laughs> Subscribe to Let's Learn Everything every other Thursday on Maximum Fun.
0: Uh, folks, this is actually take two, but we're gonna just be so natural, it's gonna just seem like it's the first time. So I'm here with Steve Bazalone. There we the go. Same, just gonna do the same bit. Yeah. Um, oh, we had a great dress. So this will be
1: a terrible show, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Steve, since we don't know each other and only <laughs> met when we did this, uh, did the read. Let's go way back.
1: Let's, uh, Let's tell me where you're man. from. And- uh, I am from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up there. Um, that is, you know there's there's a fair amount of us out here. I continually run into people. Um, but then from there I went to uh, I went to school in Boston at Emerson College because there's even more of us out here. Um, and then I, I primarily primarily went there because a, they owned a castle in Holland and I wanted to go to Europe because I had never left the states outside of like Toronto. Um, and then also because they had a, a satellite campus out here. So those are like the real big selling factors. So I went to Europe for a while, did some other semesters abroad, and then I finished out here and just stayed, um, which was a great thing to do because you got to move out here with like 80 people that you knew. So there's a built-in support system. So it was, wow, less it was, it was arriving it was, here. It was really that many. Well, there was 80 people that came in every semester or 75 or something. So, you know, of those, 20 were pretty good friends. So, you know, we had a a built-in group, uh, a bunch of peers to, you know, be bored with and drink Carlo Rossi with and play 21 all day because you had nothing else to do. (laughs) Uh, So it was good. And And that's, yeah.
0: That satellite campus, is that the one on
1: Sunset? I mean, that was that it is now we i mean they have this that beautiful like geary looking building on sunset now we were in the Oakwoods woods in alarm oh, um, wow. and our our satellite campus where they held classes i mean i was only one class a week or whatever but it was above a dry cleaner into luca lake so emerson's <laughs> come up since i was there
0: yeah i was I was gonna say, like you're young, but it seems like that sunset building has not been there for that long. So no, you know. no, no, no,
1: that's been there for like I think eight years or something. No, we every we lived in the Oakwoods with a bunch of sad divorced dads and like pop punk bands recording their their first their big break album. Um, it Maybe was child actors Intro in to yeah. LA, but it was alright. <laughs> okay, so you yeah. get out here, and
0: so and did you major in like? Writing? I majored in
1: acting actually um so like you know i think it's just by a notion of what's available to you uh when you're in high school like you know i there was english classes but writing wasn't a real thing and i think you know it was the nascent days of the internet so outside of a few auteurs in terms of writer directors you knew a couple of directors but you didn't really know what writing was really right like there wasn't the notion like i i had a subscription to premiere magazine because that was something <laughs> um and so you knew a little bit and you knew like you know big writers like the larry you know uh, uh the burrows and stuff like that that you'd see at the end of cheers but you didn't really Know what television writing was, and you only kind of knew what film writing was because it wasn't accessible. So I just went into acting because that was the easiest thing to do. And that was the thing you saw every day on the screen. Um, and it wasn't until I got out here. I, so that was my major. But then I really just spent all my time doing comedy troupe shit because that's what Emerson, there's no like real fraternities or sororities. The kind of fraternities there are comedy troops. And that's where I just put all my energy into. So when I came out here, I continued doing that and started working with some friends because, you know, I, I I was in like some bad zombie movies and a bunch of commercials, <laughs> but I remember like I used to get like, I would get scripts to go into audition for and I would read it and be like, "Ooh, baby, I really hope I get to be in this piece of shit. <laughs> and it was heartening because like I didn't, I didn't, I liked writing, but I didn't know what I was doing. But I thought after reading so many bad scripts, I was like, well, I can at least make something this bad. What I make what I write may not be good but I think it can at least be this bad.
0: Yeah. Um, sometimes the shit is the most inspiring stuff.
1: It really is and it's easier to learn from because I I you know when I talk to like younger kids I'm like you know watch all your favorite shit but also watch like bad things watch bad rom-coms and shit. You can see the seams. You can see where the act breaks are. You can understand it easier because it's less yeah. elegant. But anyway, so I just wrote a bunch just out of boredom mostly and also like being a little bit too um, type A to just sit around. There's not so much you can do as an actor. You can take classes, which always gave me douche chills. I hated (laughs) that. So um, and then I got sick for most of my 20s. So I couldn't even do like the improv stuff that I was doing. So I just but I could always sit on a couch and write. So I did that a bunch Had a couple of different collaborators. I um I initially started writing with a, a comedian, a buddy of mine who I met on the second day of college, this guy named Dan Levy. We worked a bunch together. And then I became in partnership with uh, another just phenomenal writer, this woman named Annie Mebbin, who I went to school with. Um, we were partners for a decade or so. And that's where we did all of our first jobs and our first, you know, movie sales and all that kind of stuff.
0: And what was um, the first
1: paying job, writing job? we uh annie and i on a whim we like hooked up with this this producer who was at the time at that company vendor who had a had an idea and he's like i just want to do spoof movies were like a thing like not another teen movie and scary movie all that shit was like they were they were like an easy quick site you can make them for cheap and they would you know the scary movie uh, model you know make it for 10 and they would you know it would sell 100 200 million dollar tickets or whatever so he's like i think there should be a, a spoof about dance movies and we were like yeah i love dance movies they're very <laughs> dumb but fun okay so we just got uh we were young and very uh didn't have anything else to do so we went off in like two and a half weeks and farted out this you know very silly uh dance spoof movie and it was back when there was a spec market when you could take things out without mm-hmm. like talent attached and and it would just. things would magically sell sometimes so we were just in the right place right time and that just kind of galvanized us as a partnership from that point forward
0: we have that in common in that Mm -hmm. my first paying job as a writer my old partner we sold a spoof movie a spoof of like john grisham oh uh, the best love it yeah Fantastic. Uh, yeah well, this was a lot longer ago but at the time
1: those were huge and yeah and honestly like i had a great time writing because it, it was like little sketches and like you just <laughs> need the loosest bit of narrative thread that like you know that projects you through the story and holds yeah. on to it but then and you can you- kind of do whatever you want and if you did what you know we did you
0: just steal that structure from one of the movies that you're parodying and so you've got your built-in structure we just follow i mean in our case we are the it was, it was the verdict it wasn't even a john I mean, Grisham, yeah. but we're like we'll just use those beats and then you just hang all the bits on on that yeah and it's skeleton. honestly i
1: think it, looking back on it at the time i didn't realize but i think it's like a great tutorial because you know you are you are just cribbing somebody else's structure entirely mm-hmm. and that and doing that you kind of kind of becomes more ingrained and in just uh following that so it was it was very stupid and very dumb but it was a lot of fun I'm
0: sure there's kind of nothing more fun than that. It's just a hard comedy. So,
1: you probably did that without an agent. Did you get connected with? um... You got an agent after that. And, uh, and, you know, it was kind of, they, you know, basically they just brokered the sale, which we're, you know, at the time we're very happy for. And it wasn't like a ton of money. But when I was 25 and I was 50 grand in debt, it was like, oh, holy fuck like I was doing I was like writing for newspapers and magazines here and there hmm. um but mostly what I was doing to make money outside of you know commercial work which was sometimes flush other times very you know sparse um I was doing kids parties on the weekend like dressed up like spider-man and then mr incredible and, and superman and all that shit so as soon as I like we sold that sale I I didn't do like a fuck you I'm out of here but it was a diplomatic version of that and um and then it took like, I didn't realize that it takes forever to do anything. So by the time we got paid like eight months later and it was split and taxes and yeah. an agent and a manager, I was like, oh, <laughs> I have like six bucks after I pay back all the debt that I accrued over the eight months when I wasn't being paid. But um, it was still, you know, it was a, it was the thing that like, if, if it wasn't a financial gain, it was just like a big foot in the door and also just made it feel a, a attainable. You right. Right. Yeah. I think we were we were amongst the the our, our the first in our group to like do something like that and our peers so it just it made this like I remember the first time Dan Levy and I wrote our, we wrote a spec right out of a spec feature right out of college just because we were bored and we wanted to try it. And I remember being like, How the fuck do you write something that's hundred pages long? And and it's felt like this totally insurmountable thing and then we finished the first draft and it was like 170 pages cuz we were so dumb but just leaving doing it that first time and it was awful but it was like oh you can do this it is attainable so i think that was like the the biggest thing out of that just like it you know that carrot that is dangling felt a little bit closer
0: yeah the next time it just doesn't feel nearly as impossible
1: yeah i mean it, it is it still yeah. is but you yeah. know you did it once you know so you so did maybe... somewhere in your brain you know it's you've done it and can do it again even if it feels like there's no yeah way. like you're not gonna hit a half cut half court shot often but you can if you do it enough right
0: so okay so after the movie sale mm-hmm. uh and you now
1: have an agent then what happens um You know, it was a little bit of that the the, the humbling thing. That I think you need to go through that. Whenever I talk to uh, anybody younger who asked for writing advice, like we went into a bunch of meetings, like set up a bunch of generals. We we're super excited, and they were like, "All right, congrats on the movie, loved it. What else you got?" And We're like, "We just did the thing. Yeah. <laughs> got to do the fucking thing again." Yeah. And we had like a bunch of ideas, but it was it was you know just like, "Oh right, this is just a constant. You just always have to." It'd be throwing every noodle at the wall so you know we did that for a long time and it was a lot of like you know pitching on stuff um annie and i that were like adaptations of books and we had like a real run of like uh you know they're meeting a bunch of writers for this for this book or for this article or for this open assignment and they met a bunch of people okay they loved your take it's down to you and one other person going for another meeting they love it. they the other person has a lot more experience and we had like 10 of those in a row. And we're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did a bunch of other weird stuff. we we saw we had another spec that we uh we were really happy with, but it was like it was after the writer strike. so like that spec market that we initially were lucky enough to take advantage of just kind of dried up. Um, and then we did like a we got hired to write a a, a biopic on um I don't know if you remember a guy named uh, Scatman John. Scatman John. No, I can't say he that had, I... he had a hit in the mid '90s. It was more like it was a techno scat hit. It was big in Europe, but it like made it to the <laughs> states. He was like, "I'm a scat man." Sweep, I don't know if you remember the song. Anyways, uh his his widow wife just thought he had a fascinating story and wanted someone to write a bio a biopic about him. And we we're like, okay. And he did have a fascinating story. It was really interesting. He was like heroin addict married a, a prostitute uh was like uh, abused when he was a kid and that's how he developed he developed a stutter so he stuttered his whole life and that's how he got in jazz because he liked scatting because he could do that because it wasn't actual words and he just this fascinating story but then it all just led up to that fucking hit and you <laughs> it's like you know when you're watching walk the line you're you're eventually getting to ring a fire and you're like oh right <laughs> amazing when you just leading up to a, a a kind of whatever of its bad techno pop 890s hit it just doesn't really work but it was again like a great experience got something else to do we got hired to do a couple other like you know rewrites and shit like that um and we did a bunch of things like that um until we finally uh, we made friends with i made friends at a buddy's wedding this guy who had who had just sold or just set up a spec through bender spink as well and it was like his first thing i was like hey we just did that and i made friends with him as this guy david casp um who was just you know uh just a real midas touch real wonderkin. like everything he like deigned to work on just be just became mm-hmm. uh, a, a gold mine because uh, he's wildly talented but he you know he pitched his first show ever. And that became Happy Endings. And I just reached out to him was like, hey, do you need help? He's like, oh, I thought you were too busy in features. He's like, oh, God, no. no. I mean, yes, but no, we would love to have an actual paycheck. And uh, he, um, I think smartly, he wanted it to, you know, because everybody that cast was all his age. I mean, he's a couple years, probably four or five years older than me. Uh, but they're all like our age ish. Um, so he wanted all the writers to reflect that. So it was this weird. I think the first day of where we went into work, like one of the older writers was like, "This feels like a Bravo show of like America's Next Top Staff Writer," because it was <laughs> so many staff writers and then a bunch of like people on deals. Um, but it was you know another great experience where like the a lot of the adults did the story breaking, but we were just like thrown into joke rooms all mm. day, which was again like a great boot camp, and I think. If you're a fan of that show, I think, it you, you know, you can see that it's just there is they had a lot of time, a lot of manpower allocated to just joke rooms. Yeah. And that became again, it was like, you know, that the, uh, the the bad dance spoof, it was like the foot in the door, which is always oftentimes the hardest thing. And once we got that, you know, we were lucky enough after that to just work consistently for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And eventually Annie and I split up just because of different vocation different stations in life she had uh, two kids and uh and i did not i had been through a divorce and we were just at the place also more than anything we're just tired of splitting a paycheck right because you know we were both running rooms on shows we were on or i'd be on set and she'd be editing and that kind of thing and the show we were on they were very supportive of that which was lovely and um and now we have, you know, she's still like one of my first reads on everything. And I think vice versa. And and now we have the option, like if we have an idea we like, we can work on it as opposed to being betrothed to work on everything together. So I think it's been a, um, it was a great way to, uh, to, to, to start a career and to, you know, learn from one another. And cause we have definitely have, she kind of has no weaknesses, but I think, uh, <laughs> but it's, you know, I think we were able to teach each other or learn from each other. So it was a, it was a good way to start a career, I feel like.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like about as amicable as those splits
1: come. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to have a partner because it's, it's really, it's really a marriage without, whenever you fight, you, you yeah. don't do the makeup sex. So it's right. just like, you know, every so often, like, I'd be like bringing flowers. Like I was probably obtuse. I probably was, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't, Uh, careful enough with, with, with your feelings. And, and, you know, I think it did make me better in my relationships uh, because you really had to work through stuff because there was no way to avoid it. Um, But it was a great, it was a great partnership.
0: Yeah, no, it's so true. I mean, I was in a partnership for, you know, 20 something years and, Mm -hmm. and and, yeah, people have to go into these things knowing that thinking of it as a marriage, thinking that it will need work you know the relationship will need work consistently yep. it's just it's not just that creative partnership like it's you know it's its own thing it's not a romantic partnership but it's
1: yeah close to it in some ways yeah it really is because you spend so much. i feel like i am an only child but there's a few people in my life that are that are as as close to siblings as, I, as they i think they could be and and even though i don't see her nearly as much i think we always have that that bond she's an only child as well and i think we're just like you're th- together so much so it's like you know it's all the shit that, you know, as spouse or siblings, they get on your nerves. And mm-hmm. like we had all that, but it was like such an intrinsic love and respect and admiration. So it's it is it does feel like family after a while.
0: Yeah. So at what point do you start writing or pitching pilots?
1: Um, we, we did that pretty early on. Um, we pitched a bunch of shit when we were still in that like era of, of, um, of just, you know, trying to, a, a more specking features and getting kind of rewrite, rewrite uh and features um and i we had some fun stuff i thought but we also didn't have any experience you know we're like 26 we hadn't been in a room um and you know the the landscape was different then you know there was we were not too far out from the the, the sunnies of the world so there was like you know it was a, a possibility that um you could make things happen but looking back you know it was, it was a lot of naivete that we could, you know, like, well, we've got this great idea. Why can't we run the show? um But you know, th- there was those, those miracles. Like I actually mean another, a buddy of mine, we, and his now wife, we started a festival years ago called the independent television festival for like that exact thing. Mm-hmm. Cause me and uh, my, my friend and sometimes partner Dan Levy, we made a bunch of pilots and we're like, well, what do you do with these things? um So like there was, uh there was uh, always like working towards like just trying to you know again throw every noodle at the wall like well we'll see maybe we get hired to this feature but maybe we'll work on this other thing just like anything to you know try to get money for doing a thing that we like which right. is oftentimes hard so so i should... started pitching we started pitching just like to pods and that kind of thing and then but when we first got our our first when we were happy endings and then i think 2 years in whenever we were like you know, I think probably uh, story editors or whatever whatever level we were at that you could pitch, you weren't like tied into you know that's a mix in your deal. We pitched a thing um, that we sold to NBC. That I actually recently, this was like ten years ago that I recently read. That's not bad, not great, but like there's some real fun stuff in there. But it also feels like oh yeah, these are some babies writing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like our kind of first go through, and then did it every so often, and then after. Uh, Annie and I split. um, uh, I've been doing it consistently just because, you know, I don't. I I took time off in 2019 uh, after working for whatever, 10, 12 years. I took time off to make a movie. And then after that, uh, I said no to a couple of jobs just because I wanted to make this indie that, you know, six people would watch, which was fulfilling, but, you know, again, six people. Um, uh, So, but since then I've just been developing nonstop because, you know, keep the lights on. Tell me about the movie. Um, It's a, it's a little indie called long weekend um, that, you know, uh, the star was also uh, was lucky enough to come out and do uh, our, our table read uh, Zoe Chow, who was, just the most dynamic actress i think there is i'm trying to get a second movie off the ground that she's attached to because i just think she's fantastic i think you know as an actress, she has no weaknesses she's incredibly funny and charming but also just has dramatic chops and it was her and finn whitrock who i knew zoe a little bit in in the past but i didn't know finn but he's also you know he's a juilliard just just such amazing depth and gravitas and is not like, doesn't you know, it's not a comedian, isn't known for doing sitcoms or anything, but he is also very facile in that space. Um, he's kind of like comedic tofu. I always thought he was like, if you put <laughs> him like when you Damon Wayne Jr. is in the movie and you put him with Damon and Casey Wilson, and like he, he can play ball and he takes on those flavors and he elevates it. So he was like very great for that as well. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it's a little, it's a, it's like a, a rom com with a twist. Like I just set out to write something I knew with somebody with limited to no directing experience if i was going to get somebody to let me do it i'd have to keep it very small so i went in with like you know looking towards the link later stuff like before sunrise and just like that's just two people talking but make it more dynamic than that because so many people have tried to do their version of that and mm-hmm. you're just not going to do better those those yeah. two leads are amazing. The the travel porn's amazing. Everything about it's great. So, but the notion of just trying to make it really just about a relationship, a dynamic, but then give it a twist so there, it feels bigger than the half a million dollars we made it for. And uh, did that movie get some distribution? Is it streaming? Yeah, it, it did came you see out. It somewhere? Yeah, it came out through through Sony, um, and it was in like eight hundred and fifty theaters or something but it was in March of 2021, so like... This is why were, I'm not familiar, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was in a bunch of theaters, but the first week that it opened, no theaters were open in LA, so like I went to watch it at a drive-in, and then two weeks into its run, a bunch of theaters opened, like all the AMCs and stuff opened, so I got to see it, you know, at the City Walk one afternoon, which was fun, um, but it was, you know, it was a weird time for things to come out, and I, actually the first time I went to see it, um. I just like, you know, rolled up to the city walk and I went to buy the ticket and they said it was sold out. And I was like, holy shit, sold out. And I was like, wait, hang on. What's, it has to be like half capacity. Like, yeah, yeah. So what's selling now is like, ah, like 12 tickets. Like, okay, yeah, that feels right. <laughs> but it felt nice for a moment.
0: Yeah, man, you made a movie and it was in the yeah. theater and you could go see it in the theater. It's incredible. I mean- yeah,
1: no, it was, it was, you know, one of those things that, um, I just wanted to do and it was it was very fun and I, i'm eager to do it again it's hard but much like you know anything else you do it once godspeed good for you but fucking good luck doing it a second time it's the same uphill battle
0: yeah well i guess you have to have that sort of childbirth amnesia thing happen where you yes. forget some of yeah. just
1: the miserable parts exactly as i as i i forgot but as a part of the monologue in in the script
0: yeah um so I was just going to go back. So we should say that Dan Levy is not Dan Levy of Schitt's Creek. Um, no, but
1: he gets that quite a bit. So he loves that. Yeah, I'm sure he,
0: he does. So you how do, I'm just curious how that works. So you were some, you were had a partnership with Annie, but you mm-hmm. would also sometimes have a partnership with Dan. You had well, this polygamous kind of thing. And how did that work?
1: Andy was a hundred percent. My partner, Dan was just like somebody that I worked with all the time in college. And when we first moved out here, we like made a, we made a couple pilots together. We made one just like on our own, uh, that was like, you know, a, a discount version of curb that everybody was kind of doing, but it was before <laughs> everybody was doing that. Um, and, uh, and we made another pilot that his, his management, uh, firm produced. And then we did another number for Fox, just like very, you know, low budget. So we like always just kind of did stuff on and off. And then we continued to like, occasionally we'd have an idea and we'd write a movie on the side, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and when we were, we were all worked at Goldberg's, I can't remember if Annie was there or not, cause she kind of dipped out for a, a, a year or two and then came back. Um, but while we were at Goldberg's, Dan and I were, uh, hi- we were hired to write the sequel to Twins, which was just the wildest experience. Um truly bonkers like not a great experience but for the stories just uh, alone just amazing (laughs) give give me one uh well well we went to the first time we went we had to we had to get everybody to sign off and the idea was because there was a there was a script already one that i think it's a josh gad wrote or something which was you know it was not it was not a bad script but it just didn't hit the mark for anybody for some reason so and it had been kind of sitting and languishing forever so they wanted to do it again and the idea was you know this is triplets and the, the the they find out they have a third brother who's eddie murphy so we had to get schwarzenegger and devito and eddie murphy all to sign off and We, so we had like a, we had like a loose pitch, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, our dog and pony show that we usually do. It's usually like, you know, we rehearse it and we make it, you know, very hopefully dynamic and funny and, you know, run it a bunch. So we're off, off the cuff. Um, But we were, they were, we were told like, it's just going to be casual. We're just going to go to Arnold's house. He just wants to hear, he wants to meet you guys and like, you know, see, uh, see what it's like. Just, you know, just some loose pitches, some loose, uh, loose ideas. So we go to his house, we like get out of work, go to his house which is crazy and into itself because it's like, it's kind of like, um, like if you're, if you're, you're Midwest, you're mid, if you're, if my dad had a lot of money, like this is how he decorate a house. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like cool. It's very cool. Uh, but it's also kind of, you know, feels like Ant Taylor or, you know, just a crate and barrel all uh-huh. everywhere. But then it's like, you know, he's got all this. Because you forget he's the fucking governor forever. So he's got like all this political shit everywhere. And then it's just, you know, like a table from CB2 next to fucking Conan Barbarian sword. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, like a lovely kitchen with a lazy Susan. Oh, and there's a life-size uh, replica of T2. It's It was like the most bizarre shit. Um, so we go and we sit down in his like kitchen. Um, and it's us it's the, you know, to the producers, the younger producers, Ivan Reitman and Schwarzenegger. And then like some guy that he works out with, or is a buddy of, I don't know, some other guy who's just there. And uh, we're all eating this lunch. And then he just kind of looks at us. He's like, what do you got? And it just like, it became clear in that moment, like, this is not, this is not casual. We have to like, fucking do this. We have to get into it. And so we start pitching to him. And all the while. Dan didn't have this this view, but I'm looking directly at him, and he's like looking at us, and he's got a like a golden retriever at his side that he's just like slowly patting this golden retriever's head, and then behind him on the wall is a life size painting of that exact same pose. It's him <laughs> with the fucking Labrador and and uh, the retriever, and then I'm looking. So it was like a weird like M C Escher. It was the mm-hmm. most bizarre shit. And then when we get midway through the pitch, because it was like a you know it's L A, doors were open. His mini pony walks in from the yard and starts eating off of Dan's plate, <laughs> and he Arnold's like whiskey no. and he like runs him out of the. It was just the and everything was every moment was like that. Every like part of the of the of the process was like that. We went to pitch uh, um, Danny DeVito at like the Hotel Belmar or whatever the one like right next to Shutter's on the mm-hmm. water like on New Year's Eve, and we pitched the entire thing to him. And, uh, uh, one of the, the producers who has since passed was a lovely man, but like he fell asleep in the middle of the pitch after eating like 13 cookies. And <laughs> so we finished the pitch and then DeVito afterwards says to us, Hey, can you, um, can you say that one part again? And i like, yeah, which part? And he's like, um, all of it. So we had, we did, we started doing the whole thing for him again. And he was like, not on board until I, like I broke out some like Blake Edwards quote. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, sure. I'm into it um and then eddie murphy was the same thing it was in his palatial place that's behind like 17 gates uh and he was he was watching uh, well we first walk into the room and his enormous you know mansion and very nervous for this one the other one's like nervous but it's like he's hadn't been doing a, a lot of stuff at that point right. like uh dolomite and that kind of stuff and come out so this was like very and you know we anybody's into comedy grew up watching delirious and you know raw and like and just watching every movie that he did so it was a little nerve-wracking but then we get there and it's kind of like this arnold's running late it's because he was in like a twitter war with trump at the time (laughs) because his version of the apprentice had just come out it was all just nuts so we're in this like enormous you know 40 foot high ceiling room and just waiting to see what's happening it's like dark and the lights are on and then we hear through this cabinet room like you motherfuckers here I'm like oh oh this is gonna be awesome and he came down and he was just like the nicest dude and uh we pitched him in his office where there's like you know fucking Peabody's and Mark Twain Awards everywhere and like pictures of Harlem Nights and all sorts of crazy shit um and he's listening to us and he was the exact opposite of Daniel DeVito who like locked into every story and emotional beat and Eddie we were, Dan and I were sitting together and above us was like a TV, like a enormous screen TV that had those, like the X games or something on it. And every time we would like get into emotional stuff, Eddie's eyes would just, up, would just go uh-huh. up to the TV. But anytime we got into jokes, he was locked back in. Mm. Um, and it was just a wild time. I don't even know what the question was. I'm just rambling. No, I asked you for stories about making yeah. the twin sequel and you were delivering. It was a bonkers time. And it ended up, you know, it, that was the most fun. And then when we had to write it, it was, you know, not great because there's a lot of voices. And Ivan Reitman is a is a legend. Uh, but he can he was he was, he can be persnickety. It was like a it was a tough process after we once we got into it, but you know, one that was fully worth it.
0: Yeah, those those are just great show business experiences just to yeah. be in all those rooms, those people. But it does seem like, yeah, you're the the one thing you know going into that job is you will be fired and replaced
1: by t- someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know because we it just what he wanted to do or what he tried to do in the first script, where we just threw that out entirely. It was like w- whatever the the thing was, but then we realized that over the course of him giving notes, he just slowly pushed it back to that same script, and was like, "But you didn't like this in the first place." But you know, we, the heart to wants sense, what it wants. It.
0: Yeah. I'm so excited to talk to you about Wild Grain again. My Wild Grain box actually just arrived today on the day I'm recording this. So what is Wild Grain? Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I'm sorry, I'm sort of salivating just thinking about uh, Wild Grain. Every item... Bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. And to kick off the year, Wild Grain is offering delicious products like an ancient grain sourdough loaf and fresh artisan fettuccine pasta. Look, I'm a total bread snob, and I'm telling you, this bread and this pasta is amazing. Let me let me just give you an idea of what an insufferable food snob I am, and why you should trust me. So, uh, I was at the farmers market this past Sunday and I picked up some gorgeous-looking chanterelles that had been harvested after all the California rain, and I decided to make them with some wild-grain artisan fettuccine pasta, and it was just outstanding. Okay, those last few sentences may have made you want to murder me, but it's only by way of saying that I'm not easily impressed, and this wild-grain pasta impressed me. So did their sourdough bread. So did their croissants. Everything... You will get in this box is fantastic. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box. Plus, free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots to start your subscription. I did this. I mean, they sent me a free box when they were t- decided to be a sponsor, but I, when I had eaten all of that, I went online and ordered a, another box. I started a subscription, and I used... The code dead pilots. So you heard me. Free croissants in every box. $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash deadpilots. That's wildgrain.com slash deadpilots. Or what worked better for me, I got to say, is go to wildgrain.com and then use promo code DEADPILOTS at checkout. You'll get $30 off your first box. You'll get free croissants in every box. I'm telling you, do this. Hey. Let us guess. You love books,
1: but wish you had more time to read. Or maybe you used to read a lot, but life has gotten in the way. Kids, grad school, you name it. Maybe you don't know where to start and bookish social media is overwhelming. How do people on TikTok read so many books? Oh my God, I don't know. And maybe you've been reading the same book for six months and now it's permanently attached to
0: your bedside table. Maybe you don't even know what you like to read anymore. We're reading glasses and don't worry, we got you. We'll get you back into reading and help you enjoy books again. Reading Glasses, every week on Maximum Fun. All right, so let's talk about falling apart. Oh, sure. Everyone should know it's falling slash apart, which I feel like is key. Um, And you don't really hear when you're just saying the title. But uh, anyway. It's like Frost Nixon.
1: Yeah, I guess. It's
0: just... um, that slash is very is is key to the the whole thing in the title but so where did this idea come from and like you know what's the origin of this
1: um it was you know an idea that i had just tinkering around tinkering around forever um i didn't really know what it was and then um one year i actually don't remember the exact timeline but i think it was i was gonna try to make um my, my movie long weekend summer of twenty eighteen and then a bunch of shit fell apart and that didn't happen. So there was like a month before I went back to uh the Goldbergs, uh, where I didn't have anything to do, whereas like I was my summer was planned and I wasn't going to go back to work. So I was going to do this. And then I ended up going back there. But in that month's time I had, I just started like, well, I should figure out something in the interim. So I just like started uh, tinkering around with this idea of a Uh, like a a breakup but you're kind of seeing it from a bunch of different perspectives um and that was kind of the 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 notion i just like the idea of um having a couple that you're rooting for in like a meet cute uh but then it's revealed that you know that this is invariably you know in like I think I, I am a, a big fanboy as a lot of people are of the genre of, of eternal sunshine and how in that movie, y- which is, I think is a masterclass you're seeing, you know, that it's, it has an expiration date and you know, that it's going to be heartbreak and that you're still choosing to you're still choosing love or still choosing to, you know, get on board again. Like the kind of thing you said earlier like, the amnesia about childbirth and you know love being the kind of the same way so i like the notion of like really falling for a couple but then realizing that this ain't gonna work but i don't know i i i'm like friends with almost all of my exes in some capacity at least friendly and um because i think you I, i think they're also like illuminating and and shaping of your character so i you know i think there's something there's a lot of worth in relationships that are even inevitably aren't successful so i just wanted to do something in that space
0: well what's funny is you you, you still root you, you know, i think you're kind of still rooting for them to eventually get back to together, at least at the end of the pilot, you know, you know, that they yeah. were you know, together and now they're apart and it's, you know, you don't really know why, but there's something instinctually like, well, maybe there is still, even though it did end going forward, maybe they can work it back out or something. So yeah, it's almost was, like even knowing the breakup exists doesn't stop
1: your instinct to root for them to. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. a weird, it's a, I mean, it's lovely, but it's a weird thing that we do. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I remember like a couple of times, like, um because i am friends with, with my like my college like sweetheart uh um there was a period in time where like i was single and she'd just gone through a breakup and occasionally people were like do you think you guys going to get back together and i was like no of course not <laughs> but that is it's like this weird instinct that we have that we just want to just we just all want to make everybody let's just see happy let's just see and for storytelling notions what a great how it's cyclical that's nice um yeah but i think it's a weird thing that we do but that was also part of the pitch where like i had to you know kind of pitched out a little bit of what the season was and how the first season ended and how that was a cliffhanger for the next season and how they did get together but then maybe that you realize that's not a good thing they should have stuck to their guns perhaps so
0: yeah, I was curious about how how you pitched what comes next because it does feel
1: yeah, like I a mean, show. I don't, I obvious. don't. Remember, yeah, because it wasn't twenty nineteen when I pitched it. I don't remember all the ins and outs, but I remember I pitched a second episode that was her. Uh, that was at, uh, Lena's birthday, and so you saw it both in the past and in the present. That her birthday after they had this first magical night, her birthday is like two days later. So then she's has to make the decision like I don't want to I don't wanna be weird and like just invite you to my birthday dinner, and put undue pressure on this. But also I'm excited about this and I I got nothing else going on. So you see like that happen in the past and the present. You see that it's her birthday now, and they go to the same restaurant, but he's not a part of it. That Evan's not there and that he's on another date for the entire time can't stop thinking because knows that she's at this birthday dinner because he was there for six years of it or whatever mm. um so you're just kind of seeing that play out and i, I like I, I also wanted to do like stylistic you can kind of see it in the script but i wanted to do, like more stylistic stuff for like split screen and also seeing both past and present occupy the same space in shots yeah. um because i just I, I don't know i think there's a great, a good, simple rom-com is, is it can be fantastic it, and really, because it's just about the the dialogue, the characters, the stakes, all those things, but we've seen it so many times, so you can just add another element to it. And I think that's why, I don't know if it holds up, I haven't seen it forever, but 500 Days of Summer when that came out, it was like, I think in many ways, like a lightning bolt, like, oh, look at the way that we can reinvigorate this genre. Same way, like, you know, whatever your feelings on the man are, like Annie Hall, like the way that that played with... Uh, different narratives and talking to the camera, breaking the wall, like all that stuff, like made it feel so real and lived in um, even just like the, the interstitials and when Harry met Sally, right. That was like a, mm-hmm. a great way to mark chapters that made it feel unique. So I just thought, you know, doing some simple stylistic things that weren't crazy, but allowed you to really easily juxtapose like all this hope versus heartbreak. Cause I don't know, my life has been great, but also there's been a lot of tumult in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I had a, a, a tough couple years and a tough, tough, toughish decade and that's, but all that shit like just made the other things, the victories and the highs just enrich them. So I, I was really into the idea of doing a show that had both, but still at its heart was romantic and really funny. Hopefully.
0: Yeah, I think it is both. And I mean, it's clear that the- you like the genre like you know that you know the way you talk about eternal sunshine and 500 days or you know that these that that there's no doesn't feel like it's um oh rom-com could sell it's more like
1: this is a genre that you really connect to yeah i mean i think i just i probably a little bit of a romantic um for sure but also i think you know even even when they're not rom-coms like beginners is one of my favorite movies and that's not really a rom-com mm-hmm. it's a dramedy that you know tells a story over across three separate timelines, and also has like a history lesson about like LGBT rights in the fifties in LA. Like, it's a wild movie, and also does all these stylistic things. But at the heart is this father-son relationship and this romance. I I, I don't know. I, I think it's great. is It's not a rom com. It's just a indie. I don't know what the fuck you qualify that as. But those are the things I like. I tend to get into. So I like yeah. to recreate that.
0: And I mean, it, there's a real romantic heart to this pilot and it's there in the stage directions, you know, and all the, the action lines and the, those felt like they're, they're coming from an honest place of, um you're not putting on this romantic notion. There's a real sense of investment.
1: Yeah, in, I, hope, I hope so. In relationships. I hope so i think it is um in you know it was it was very fun to do the table read and it was very cool but it's also i i feel i it's rare that i feel you know proud of scripts but i am proud of this one but it's also like i think it's a a good read but you i mean jesus christ you were doing like (laughs) hamlet's soliloquies it's like so much action line because there is so much uh um subtext and also stylistic shit in there so it's I don't, I don't know if it makes for a great table read, but I think it makes for a good read.
0: Well, I think that, I mean, hopefully that's a, the way you wrote is vivid enough that people were have the images in their head. I think that idea of the, them occupying their past and present selves, occupying the same space is such a cool thing. And obviously it's be much better if we were watching it. Yeah. Um, but the powers that be did not allow yep. that to happen. But I still think yep. you can conjure it, yeah. Um, Because those, you know, those stage directions are just they're
1: they're very writerly and uh, and and well done. Yeah, I think Uh, I like kind of like doing that because I I miss writing like short stories when I was younger, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to take the time to do it now because I'm because you're not going to get paid for that. Yeah, exactly. And I'm also ultimately like a little bit lazy, even (laughs) though work all the time. But like I'm 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 lazy about most things except for the one thing that I do. So it's nice to, I don't know, add a little bit of elegance to a a script that is a lot of dick jokes, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. You know, did you pitch it um, just to networks? Did you pitch this to streamers?
1: No, I initially pitched it to all streamers because it was, it's hyper serialized, obviously. And also like a big stylistic swing. So like my initial thought was like, this isn't for networks. Um, and pitched it to a bunch of different places Um, and initially it sold to spectrum when they were a thing Uh Um, so they sold it they bought it and showtime was interested but i think spectrum because they were on the hook they we just went with spectrum but then four months later i got a call from sony and they couldn't make the deal work because they had not done a template yet for them or something and then okay, i think so we
0: should let me step in and explain that mm-hmm, to please. the lay people so okay so so Sony's your studio and yep. is that were you in a, a deal at sony or is that just where you had pitched this which the studio that
1: yeah. i wasn't on a deal but i was um i had worked on sony shows for a decade so i knew everybody there and also okay. i had at the time um the producer, I was, I had worked with Seth Gordon a few times. Uh, Mm He did, he did Goldberg's uh, and um, he did another show that I worked on that he directed. And I just crossed paths a a bunch of times. Um, And I knew, you know, he's his track record of if he, if something gets made, I think like 80% of pilots that have actually gotten made, that he's made get to air. Mm. And he's also like he's he's a he's a he can be gruff, but he's a teddy bear and I've always liked him. And uh he also really gets into like those stylistic things. So and he had a deal with Sony. So that's where we kind of um that's why we went went with that just you know familiarity and also you know friendship.
0: Right. So that's the studio that's going to produce it. And then you're looking for the network or streamer that's going to air the show. And when you say they didn't have a template it just it it means they hadn't made a deal for a show at spectrum before so they were not they didn't have terms that they had agreed on that would make it work where studio where sony felt like all right well in success we'll make some money on this show Mm -hmm. they didn't have that set up in such a way where they were confident that it made financial sense for them to sell it to spectrum something that happens yeah
1: yeah and it was a a a deep bummer but to their credit they did try to I mean, you know, not the right way, but they and at one point asked if it could be an hour long. It's like that I can wrap my mind around. But then that didn't work. And then they asked if it could be a multicam. I was like, I just don't. see how. I really don't see how. And I, yeah. I don't want to say no to money, but I just that feels like it'll be miserable yeah. for me to be a totally different show. Yeah. Um, so that went away and I was a bummer. But then they're like, well, let's pitch it to networks. And I was like, sure. So I was in the process. I just wrapped the movie. And just took like a day from editing and just went and pitched and i did not expect it to be anything but uh, uh they all went great and nbc bought it in the room and um that was that so mm-hmm. and i and i like those guys because i've kind of known them in passing uh, it was david slevin and jeff myerson i've worked with them a couple of times but i've known slevin socially for years um and it was it was a uh is even though it didn't go anywhere it was a great experience those guys were really um that team in general was just really supportive, and uh, um, and I I've never had this happen before. Where after it didn't get picked up, we got a call apologizing, saying like it's my job to try to get on the air, and I thought I could make this one happen, and I felt like I let you down. I'm like Jesus Christ! That's wow, so that's lovely. that is rare. <laughs> yeah, it was rare, and it was also it didn't feel like lip service; it felt genuine. I think they like yeah. they, you know, I think they knew it was probably a swing, but it was like you know every year there's a different mandate for whatever the fuck like now they only want do Maltese. but that year like rom-com was a thing and um but i think this was just still a little bit too outside of i mean i was i think i said it in the the preamble for the table read i was like you know i was surprised when they bought it uh, and it was a bummer when it didn't come to fruition but i was not surprised because it yeah. was didn't feel like a fit uh, you know you you go through and you convince yourself like i can see this this could be cool for them this could be cool for me but you know that's just you trying to convince yourself of 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 possible success, which is not likely.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like such a streaming show, yeah. um, and you know, the only thing that felt network about it is that one p- when the big twist is revealed, it's so spelled out in the stage <laughs> directions that I felt like they must. I bet the network just wanted you to make this even ever clearer and clearer and clearer <laughs> to the yeah. point where you're just really spoon feeding like this is what's going on. Well, after yeah. I felt like oh, we we get it, we already like we got it in the moment and we realized how how cool it was. Once you know you set up that you know, I don't know, the hair, the hair detail, um, where with the spiky hair, which when it comes, you know, when it, when you lay that pipe, as writers say that it it was clear, like, okay, this is here for some reason, but it's very Mm -hmm. unclear, like why we are talking about what his hair used to look like and seeing this picture. This doesn't
1: seem important at all. It doesn't seem, yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, but so once that happens, I, you know, for me, when I was reading, it was, oh my God, I see what this all is. Um, and it, I don't know if it's true, but it felt to me like the network might have asked you to just really make it super explicit. No, I
1: don't remember, <laughs> but I think I'm sure that was part of it. And I think it was probably just also, you know, it's one of those things that's it's in stage directions. So, yeah, so it doesn't matter. You always yeah. give in on those fights. If there's any yeah. fight that can be like won
0: by adding stage directions. God bless.
1: do 100 percent. And I also like my my general way of thinking about any writing is just like i want it to be a smooth river stone like just get through it as <laughs> fast as possible mm-hmm. anything that like snags and like you know causes you to stop for a moment that takes you out of the read is is just bad so if you can if you just go a step further and describing it what is like the old adage of um uh, it's a it's a story i'm not gonna know, know the details out. so i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna board it but i just i'm happy to like just say it in action lines like for clarity like oftentimes i'll just you know put in Italics like what somebody's actually thinking, just so it's subtext for the reader and also it makes you more engaging or subtext for the actor to play and also it makes mm-hmm. you more engaged in the read, I think. Yeah. So, but I'm sure that was a note, sure. I uh
0: I like the smooth river stone. I don't think any yeah. of those, you know, I feel like mm-hmm. all of us, all writers have some have some metaphors in our heads we when we're writing, it's always interesting to hear other people's. Yeah visualizations of how they want the writing to to go
1: yeah i i like hearing like about um you know what your what people's process are i don't need to like delve into it that deep i don't need to hear like everything needs to be kimbellian your story structure but like know like where do you write what do you write to what's your genesis how do you come up with ideas like in you know a cliff notes version of that, i think is really interesting
0: yeah no i agree I, I but the problem is i feel like there's some there's a lot of lies out there sure a lot of people that are just or i just don't buy it i just don't buy you're like that joyful about it or that you do it that consistently or that many hours or you know it's just like yeah i just i mean i I, like honest people being which is what i try to get on the show is people being honest about how it actually is because i feel like it can be so intimidating if people are fed. Oh no. Well, I wake up at 6am and I go out into my shed and I write for four hours and I don't get moved off of the seat. And, and, and that's like,
1: great if that works for you, but fucking yeah. how? <laughs> like, also, no. it doesn't have to be that hard. I mean, it's hard enough doing it, but it you doesn't have to be a punishment. And also yeah. you need to have like a life so you can, you know, enrich these things. So you have things to talk about. Like I, there was, I don't know what show it was, but it was a meme on some social media of taika waikiki being like you know sometimes writing is opening up your laptop staring at it for seven hours and then closing it and feeling sad sometimes that's <laughs> writing yeah. It's like yeah a lot of times it's just staring into the abyss and being like fuck well that last one was okay but i think that was the last good one i had in me and then mm-hmm. you know you torture yourself for a while and then you write something that's maybe not great but you'll get it there yeah it's just
0: that's just so true <laughs> mm-hmm um and what uh what are you doing now what are you working on now anything you want to tell us about
1: um you know in reading this again i like i was just like fuck why with an a possible impending writer's strike i was just like why can't we make zombie shows let's bring them back yeah um that but that's just a pipe dream uh i have i'm supervising a, a show for fox This a, a super talented dude uh um writer for daily show has a, a show on fox and then i have a another show on fox that is um based on a documentary so i'm working on that and then have a show for amazon that i pitched in uh august that um you know we've yet to do a kickoff because everybody's constantly restructuring but that's one i'm I'm excited about all of them but that one is like an idea that i've had forever and it's also a little bit in a rom-com vein with a weird twist again so (laughs)
0: um
1: you know i'm excited about all of them they're all you know it's a weird thing we're like in theory i've got a full docket but it's that January malaise where nothing's happening. Yeah. So I'm like right now, I'm just trying to uh, uh, work on the things that will be the things after the things I'm working on die. So then mm-hmm. these will die and then I can, you know. Yeah, because the thing it. that helps you get over that disappointment yeah. is just the next thing. and it's Yeah, yours. the next thing that is like, oh man, can I give birth to this thing that will also die? But right. that's fine.
0: That's fine. That's fine. It's it can't you can't be focused on the the goal. You can't be focused on just the, you know, the, no. the thing getting on whatever that's out of your control.
1: I I try to think of it like a uh, um, like a like, you know, in major league baseball, if you fail 75% of the time, you have a career. If you <laughs> right. fail 70% of the time, you're a hall of famer. <laughs> so I'm just trying to fail 75% of the time is my goal. That's what we're all trying to do. Yeah. Well, Steve, uh,
0: I really uh, love the pilot and thank you for letting us read it.
1: Oh, dude, it was so fun. Thank you for uh, letting me bring a bunch of uh, my uh, my buddies in there. They were all delightful. Gareth Reynolds is... I met him on the first day of college. One of the funniest people I've ever met. always uh, amazing. Sam Lerner and his girlfriend are great. Will basically played himself. Um, <laughs> He's so, so funny. And yeah. And... Uh, um uh who was at jesse hodges is good friends with nikki who was previously and allie and flip are very thinly veiled nikki and will so it was nice to to see uh keep in the family and so thank you for this opportunity it was very fun
0: oh well thank you for bringing you know some new people that who i loved and i didn't know before so it was you know one of the exciting
1: yeah yeah projects. i loved that uh, also the two people garrett and um and what was her name? Oh, uh, uh, Mujan. Mujan. They were Mujan. both fantastic. Yeah. I followed Garrick immediately, but I don't think Mujan is on Instagram, so I, I yeah no connection. She's, but, she's um, great.
0: She's one of our stalwarts and always yeah. comes to kill. Yeah. Well, this
1: is a wonderful thing you have going on. I'm glad I got turned on to it, and thank you for uh, bringing me into the family. I appreciate it, man.
0: All right, thank you, Steve. All, All right, right buddy. take care. All right, take care. I hope you enjoyed that. Next month we've got such a fun pilot for you. It's called Thrupple. Really excited for you to hear that. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling. It was edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend about us. Follow us on social media. We're on all those things. Uh, until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Maximumfun.org
1: Comedy and culture.
0: Artist owned. Audience supported.